just so sweet worshiping with each other. I got to be honest with you. I spend a lot of time worshiping on my own. I like to drive the car. I like to worship. And it's sweet. Don't get me wrong. It's very sweet. But there is just something when I'm worshiping with brothers and sisters. Someone called to lead into worship. Someone who's used by God to draw out worship from our hearts. To feel the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if anybody had a challenge in week. Most likely nobody in this church ever has a challenge in week. We have our act together. I see one honest hand go up. But honestly, just getting lost in worship is just so sweet. It's a gift from the Lord. Praise is a gift from the Lord. And there's something interesting. When it comes to praise, anything we look back in the past is forgiven. And everything about our worship is looking forward to the future and the power we have today. I mean, the world can't make that up. I mean, we live in the power of the resurrection and everything. I think that the song was today just really nailed that. Bless you, brother. Bless you, Marty, for your service to the Lord. Acts chapter 8. As I continue to preach through the book of Acts, I will periodically take moments off to preach on other themes times of the year but I will be making my way through Acts the great persecution oh maybe I should go to the book of Acts here we are starting in verse 1 to verse 4 and Saul approved of his execution that was Stephen And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Can you say preaching the word? Preaching the word. Let's pray. Father, let us, everyone in this room know that we're all ordained by the Holy Spirit to preach the word. To friend and foe. You have called us all, you've given us all the unction of the Holy Spirit, Father God, that brings life to the power of the gospel. And Father God, I just pray that somehow, some way, you can breathe upon this text tonight as I do the best I can to articulate what was taking place 2,000 years ago and how relevant it is for our lives today. Would you help me in this task of glorifying your son, Jesus Christ, in the word that gives testimony to his gospel in Jesus' name. Isaiah's famous words, we quote them all the time, found in Isaiah 55, 10, 11, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be to be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
Our text shows tonight, after Stephen has been murdered, this voice for God, this this mind, he had such a, a deep and rich theological mind, backed up with a servant's heart, backed up with the power of God to perform signs and wonders that would uh, give credit to the gospel message. His life was young and it was taken from him real quickly. And the church was left with one left without one great minister of the gospel. And surely you would think, now what? Surely things are going to fall apart. But as Isaiah says, and as we go through our text, they preach the word, the gospel has gone viral. It's gone viral. When you think, right there is a moment when two of our songs sang it today, he was in the grave Three days he lay there alone, our Messiah, but resurrection came. You cannot stop the word of God. And that's the book of Acts. And that's actually the title of when I went into the book of Acts was that the gates of hell cannot prevail. That That was my introduction into the book of Acts because that's what we have. Everything Satan and man can throw out the truth. And it seems for a moment that it ain't gonna survive You and I are here 2,000 years later, filled with the Spirit of God, tears in our eyes, joy in our heart, hope and peace in a world that's gone mad. It's getting even worse. Why? Because they went out and preached, and the gates of hell cannot prevail. And you and I are here today with joy, hope, peace in our hearts. Praise God. The gospel is going viral. You can't stop it. Luke has been showing us both the success of the gospel in and around Jerusalem those first three, four years, maybe five years after the crucifixion and resurrection. He's actually shown it under some persecution. They arrested the apostles twice already by the time we get to the eighth chapter. And now we're going to see something happen as we saw under Stephen. A persecution has broken out. The sentiment, the the kindling of animosity towards the Christian faith, the young Christian faith, that it seems that the, the people in Jerusalem were just, well, they were putting it up with it. They were waiting for something to happen. And when they stoned Stephen to death, that's when it happened. All hell broke loose. And now, Luke's going to show us, starting in chapter 8, it's the spread of the gospel, not just in Jerusalem, but how it made it to the outside. How it went from Jerusalem to Samaria, in this very same chapter, we'll see this next week. How it goes from Samaria to Judea, we'll see that in the following weeks. And how it goes throughout the whole Mediterranean world, just like Jesus said. And not just the gospel being preached, but we're going to see disciples being made. We're going to see people coming out of pagan dark backgrounds that know nothing about a triune God. They have no idea there's one God. They've been worshiping pantheons of superstition and gods and now they have a God that saves and a God that transforms them. True discipleship. We see this in the book of Acts. Stephen's role seems short-lived. It almost seems like it's over. Young man, height of his ministry, out of his ministry. Cut down with a mob mentality, dragging him off. Men and women picking up stones, maybe even children picking up stones and stoning him to death. And all of it being 
authenticated by the Apostle Paul, who was then Saul of Tarsus, given his thumbs up. He bring a sense of, how could you say? Almost it's God ordained, the stoning of this young man. But though Stephen is dead, his life is not over, his ministry is not over, it's still speaking volumes. God's purpose is not over, though Stephen's life here on earth is over. God's word will never return void or will never return empty. It will accomplish that which it is set out to perform. And just like the apostles or the disciples at the time thought it was all over, they all went back to their home and Peter went back to fishing, John went back to fishing because their Messiah was now in the grave, all their hope. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus were, were going back, they were sad, they were downhearted. Why? Because the, all their hope in Jesus was now over because of the crucifixion. But little did they know, you can't stop God's purpose. Stephen is dead. There's a great persecution. Uh, you got to remember, Luke is writing from an historian's blessedness. You know what that is? Hindsight. That's what it is. He gets to look back over it and see it and see the great persecution. But if you lived at that time and your life was being torn from inside out as Saul of Tarsus was coming into your room, into your very bedroom and dragging you out because you professed Christ... This text of four verses of scripture would take on a whole new life. God's word is going to spread in the book of Acts. It's going to show us how it brings light, how it brings understanding, how it brings joy, how it brings hope to many people from many different tribes and tongues and nations. But there's also a sub-theme in the book of Acts. Do you know what it is? Do you want to know? Are you sure you want to know? Read the fine print before I say it. Raise your hand. Do you want to know? A couple of hands didn't go up. The sub-theme is suffering for the sake of the gospel. It's the sub-theme. There's no effective ministry without suffering. It's through many trials and tribulation, Paul says, we enter into the kingdom of God. There's nothing easy. Your salvation was brought by a price more valuable than precious silver or gold. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It cost. So we'll be looking at this now a little bit tonight, but as the weeks go on, I'll speak a little more about it in application. But Luke, writing as an historian, constructs his book with the blessed hindsight, and it introduces the main elements that we're going to be moving forward from Acts chapter 8 all the way to the end. From Stephen's death and the persecution under Saul to Philip the Evangelist to next chapter of Saul's conversion and his missionary exploits throughout the whole Mediterranean world. It starts here. Something new in the book of Acts is starting. We can see this sort of passing the baton. Our four verses reveal several important dynamics for us tonight that I want to speak about and then make some application to it later on. Uh, one is Saul's pre-Christian history. 
I'll speak a little bit about it. It's setting up up for his, Luke is setting us up for, or giving us, he's warming us up for Paul's conversion and ministry to the Gentile world. It's one of those, it's good literature. It's, it, it's a, how can you say, conflict resolution type of thing. It, it reads really well. We're going to speak about the great persecution. We're going to speak about the scattering of Christians. We're going to be speaking about preaching the word, Stephen's burial, and then the apostles manning their post under severe tribulation. Verse 1, I've combined verse 1 and verse 3. I don't know if we can do that up on our board, but I will read verses 1a and verse 3 about Saul. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul of Tarsus was a mad man. He was a mad man. I don't want you to miss this. I spoke on Saul's life a couple of years ago. I'll speak more about it over the weeks to come. But everything it says about Saul's pre-Christian life is nothing but brutal. There's nothing good about it. It's brutal. The word used here is ravaging the church in the ESV or, or destroying the church in other translations. Actually means it's a brutal and sadistic cruelty. You couldn't find a stronger word to define what Paul, or I should say Saul, was doing. And I started off speaking about that because we have to remember something. You know, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we see them, what were they doing? They were meeting house to house. They were breaking bread. They were fellowshipping. They were praying. They were giving themselves over to the apostles' teaching. And these very homes were the ones Saul couldn't take it anymore. He was bursting down doors. Was it action? There was no calling card. He would just come through and rip communities, rip families apart, commit them to prison. You were guilty until proven innocent. And there's something in the New Testament you might not, you might miss if you're not familiar with it. And we see it today, even under persecuted Christians today. When a Christian was persecuted, you could, you can get away from it. You know how? Deny Christ. All persecutors would give someone an opportunity to do what? Deny Christ. We see it going on in the Middle East tonight. If you deny Christ, you'll live. Do you know what you don't see in the New Testament? Do you know what you don't see in the book of Revelation? You see no one denying Christ. No one. You don't see anybody in the book of Acts. In the book of Revelation, they love not their life unto us. There is a great apostasy, yes. We're not here to talk about that. But we are here to show you that when Christ calls you and Christ seals you, no matter what the threat is, you will not deny Christ. Saul of Tarsus was a raving lunatic filled with religion and a self-righteous heart. He hated the name of Jesus. 
He hated what he was seeing so much so when he, when he saw Stephen. Remember, when Saul put his thumbs down and, and, to, and to stone Stephen to death, he heard his deep, rich, theological mind. He heard what Stephen was saying. He knew somehow, some way, what he was saying was right. God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Something greater than the Sabbath has come. Something greater than the temple has come. Emmanuel, God with us, the virgin, has given forth a child, a son. And it was driving Saul crazy. It did not fit in his little box religious mind of rituals. The Sabbath, the temple, Moses, the rituals, the Sabbath, the temple, Moses, dietary laws, the festivals, all this stuff that does not change the heart at all. And it's only a type and a shadow of Messiah to come and bring in a new covenant under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It drove him crazy. The church suffered greatly. The church was almost destroyed single-handedly by one man. Those in the prayer meetings and those who were breaking bread, and there was this, there was a short time in the in the infancy of the church in Jerusalem where there was just this great favor put upon them. And then one day it was taken away, the rug was pulled out, persecution started, there was animosities, there were disagreements, but then it happened. They saw the ugliness of religion. I'll fast forward to today. I think we're seeing the animosity that's been brewing against Christianity in America for years. The only reason it hasn't come out of hands are all law courts. It's the only reason, please understand that. The only reason you and I are sitting here today is because there's laws of the land that protect our religious liberty and freedom, which is right now on the chopping block of the progressive left. On the chopping block. Their fight is not against you and me. Their fight is against God. And we don't fight against flesh and blood. So our fight is not against them. It's against rulers and powers and principalities in high places. And we're going to see how the early church dealt with it because you and I need to how to deal with this in America today. But the, the, the Bible gives us a wonderful answer, great insight on us as Christians, conservative Christians, how we deal with this today. The Apostle Paul was a cruel and self-righteous man. The next chapter picks up uh, this theme more directly when we get to the ninth chapter. When we get there, we'll speak more about Paul. But, but verse one B says this: and, the, and there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. The great persecution was a defining moment in Jerusalem. Something has changed once and for all. A red sign is drawn in the sand. It will never, ever, ever be the same. And I don't know about you, but I like things to what? I like that. I like these things. I don't like the boat being rocked. I don't like being uh, the apple cart being disturbed. I, 
we're moving to a new place three blocks away you thought I was moving to another country I'm living in the same place for 33 years it's like I don't want to go I'm like I like my two rooms this is great for me and my wife that's how I am but that's not how God is when God's on the move his ways are what and they're not always the church of Jerusalem liked what was going on but guess what God wanted that gospel message to get to Samaria and Judea to the rest of the world. But guess what? It would have stayed there. It would have stayed there. Even Peter didn't want to preach to the the Gentiles. He has to have a vision. Cornelius has to come to him. I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It was a defining moment. Never be the same. Whole communities, listen, were seemingly destroyed. And I like to say seemingly because there was a higher purpose to God's ways that aren't ours. You see, they were scattered. And in the Greek, the word means to sow. Sound familiar? Who's the sower? And what does he sow? And what's the seed? What did they preach? God took the great persecution and seeded the earth with his gospel preaching you can't think that up when it was going on you can rest assured they weren't having a prayer meeting saying isn't this great yeah they dragged off my mother she's in prison the kids are in prison everybody's in prison you know something I'm going to go preach the gospel this is great no no they preached it with tears in their eyes and brokenness in their heart and with fear and trembling they told people about Jesus. You don't think they felt the pain of a whole life in the community being uh, uh, torn apart in a thunder by one man ravaging the church being put in prison with no hope of what? Coming out to sit on the Herod or Pilate? To get a hearing? They crucified Christ already. If it wasn't for an angel opening up the doors, Peter would still be in there. They didn't let people go unless you denied Christ. They were scattered, but they went sowing. What does Jesus teach us in the 12th chapter of John? As Pastor John's been speaking. He says, I'm the true wheat. I'm the seed. Unless a kernel of seed, a kernel of wheat falls into the ground, it dies, it remains alone. But if it does, if it does, if it does die, it what? It bears much. It's a spiritual principle. The church, like Stephen, died that day. Like Christ died. It took on a new role, the church. It took on a new function. It took on a new power. We cry out for the power of God in the church today in America because that's what America needs. America doesn't need the Christian church of the last hundred years. America needs the Christian church that's in the scriptures. Where the power of God resides. Where conversion takes place. And lives are changed. Under greatest tribulations and adversity, it doesn't stop. That's what we need. You know something? 
And only God knows what it's going to take for the church to get there. See, they never planned in their Bible studies to say, you know something, Jesus said that the gospel needs to go to Samaria and Judea and the ends of the world. We don't see them getting together and brainstorming. But God wanted the message to get there. And this is his chosen method. See, remember, that's why I started off with Isaiah, because God's ways are not our ways. God doesn't think like you and me. We have a lot of limitations. We can spend so much time thinking that we get paralyzed by paralysis. Paralysis by analysis. Nothing gets done. Not so with God. When God wants to get something done, when I look at my personal life and I see all the great moments in my life, they come at hard times. Very, very, very hard times. Some of the lowest times in my life was when God did his greatest work. Because I like comfortability. I don't want God getting messy in my life. But did God ask Jacob, listen, I want to wrestle with you in the middle of the night? No. It says a man showed up and wrestled with Jacob. God doesn't give a call and card when he's going to show up into your life or your ministry or your church and say, I'm going to get messy. Do you mind if I change you to Israel, Jacob? No, he doesn't do that. He didn't do it to them, the young church. He's not going to do that to you and me today. And praise God for it. God, all of us who cry out, just show up when it's appropriate, God, and change me and use me. The church was scattered. Now the Jerusalem church on that day died, but it bring the gospel with them. Please understand something. These early Christians didn't flee Jerusalem with a refugee complex. I'm a victim. Oh, look what they're doing to me. No, 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 no. One scholar says this. They left as missionaries, not as refugees. That is important. It doesn't mean that they didn't leave with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean they didn't leave with a broken heart or a heaviness. It doesn't mean that they didn't leave loved ones behind, property behind, bank accounts behind, portfolios behind, businesses behind, a good life behind, luxury behind, conveniences behind. It doesn't mean it didn't leave anything behind, and it doesn't mean it wasn't hurting. But they didn't leave with a victim mentality, look at me. They went and they preached the word. In retrospect, as we read the scriptures, we see Luke highlighting God's hidden wisdom. They went and they preached the word and scattered seed. And why, I ask? Their life is decimated. Don't miss this. This is not like a little persecution saying, you know something, we don't like you anymore, would you leave? They had to run for their life. And when you run for your life, you don't stop like Lot's wife and look behind and say, what can I take with me? You run for your life. You flee to the mountains, as Jesus says. Take nothing with you. There is no time. Run for your life. And it goes to show you that they're not standing around crying and complaining because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what did they speak? The gospel. Why? Because where your heart is, there is also your... There was no time to complain. Their heart was so filled with Jesus, it made no difference what was taking place. 
And people don't understand that. As Americans, we don't understand that. Anything that gets away of our comfortable little life, we complain. But when your heart is filled with Jesus, you can go anywhere. It makes no difference. You just set up a new shop. What did Paul do when he was persecuted in one town? It says Paul got up and went to Berea. Paul got up and went to Philippi. Paul went to Corinth. Paul went to Rome. Paul went to everywhere. He got persecuted. He shook the dust off his... And he went and he sowed more seed. As I've been preparing this, I've been texting back and forth with Brother Lou, who's now in New Mexico. Who, who here knows Brother Lou? Everybody from the prayer meeting knows Brother Lou. You see, Brother Lou and his wife, Jen, the only thing they care about is Jesus. They don't care about nothing else. So they can get up from New York and move to New Mexico to people that have no idea who's there. I know the area. They are totally different than New Yorkers. And they are totally different from Brother Lou who's covered from head to toe with tattoos. He's got Jesus saved with a cross tattooed on his head. He's bald, he's got no hair. He's got repent all over him. But his heart is filled with Jesus, so he can leave New York, he can go to New Mexico, and set up shop. Because why? Because that's the treasure of his heart. They can go under great, great persecution and severity and tribulation running for their life leaving loved ones behind still in prison and preach the word why? that was the treasure in their heart these verses are a testimony to the early church's love for Christ and the power of that love moves them not to feel like victims but to be missionaries and carry the message it says here in verse 2 that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. What a testimony to Stephen's life. You know, there's a sort of awkward why that's thrown in there. You know, we're moving on. Luke is writing, he's moving on, but he's got this last word for Stephen. You don't see anything written about Stephen against the last word for Stephen. And he throws this in. But understand, so most likely these are not Christians burying him. Great Lamentations were only served probably Jewish men, devout Jewish men that were touched greatly by Stephen, though they probably were not converted, made loud lamentations over this godly man. They were self-incriminating. They were associating with a heretic. But that's the profound effect this young man cut down in the middle of his life and ministry had on people. These great lamentations of crying out and pouring out your soul on behalf of someone else was, was saved only for the godly, only for the pious Jew. He didn't just do that to anybody. And we could see that Stephen's ministry was, was deep. It wasn't just deep in the, in the Christian community. But he, it was deep as an evangelist in his old community, coming out and speaking about Christ. And people heard him and people saw his character. This man surely touched a lot of people's lives. 
It says that the apostles were manning their post. So the church was disturbed, great persecution. Christians were leaving at an alarming rate. They were being chased out. The, per, the, the apostles stayed on in Jerusalem. See, these were true shepherds of God's sheep. And even under the severest threat and persecution, they manned their post. Some scholars say that the persecution was probably only under the Hellenists, the, those, those Jews that, were, that came out of the Greek culture and they converted to Judaism and, or lived in foreign nations and foreign countries, but they were Jews by religion, but they were Greeks by culture. And that's where the flare-up took place, but I think it goes more than that. I think their time to leave wasn't ready, that the work of God was not finished in Jerusalem. And they stayed on, they manned their post under the threat of persecution because we get to the 12th chapter, another persecution breaks out, and this time they finally get the apostle James. And the Jews were happy. That's what the text teaches us. Chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Another persecution breaks out. But for now we know that their time was not up yet. As Christians, we really have to live under this wonderful attribute of God's sovereignty. When it's not your time, guess what? It's not your time. Every missionary whose feet hit the pavement and go to foreign countries live under this principle. They belong to the Lord. They're going to man their post. You and I are called to man our post. When the neighborhood starts to change and things start to change, we don't say, well, I'm out of here. Things are starting to change. You know what I mean? I don't like the way this one looks. This one's over here. This one's dressing like this. This one's talking like this. You know, I'm out. No, that's not the way we man our post. We're not out. There's a higher purpose for your life. There's a higher purpose for my life. There's a higher purpose for the church. And it's not about getting out. God wasn't finished here. The Holy Spirit was still at work. But by the time we get to the 12th chapter, there's another persecution. I'm just going to move on into some application. Stephen's role. Stephen's role was over, but his life and his testimony lived on. And I ask all of us, do we have such a love for Jesus that even after we're gone, that we're going to bring life to other people. Think about it as parents and grandparents and pastors and good friends and workers. I mean, are we having any profound effect on people's lives? Is, is my love for Christ spilling over into other people's lives? Maybe they're not saved now. But how many people come to Christ after someone has died because someone has been faithful and telling those people year in and year out, even without any fruit of a relationship with Jesus. I ask all of us, where do we stand? If you and I, if God calls us home right now, take a self-evaluation. 
That's a scary test, isn't it? Isn't that a scary test? Are we making a difference in someone's life? Someone. If it's not yes, I pray in all our hearts right now we're saying, God, get me to that place. Remove the obstacles. If there's any obstacles, to think I would come to the end of my life. I think about often about military leaders and politicians that have served the country and served it well. What an emptiness to come to a, the, the, the end of your life's work and see nothing. There's nothing. You change the law. You, 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 you change, you flip-flopped on this, but you change nothing. But as Christians, God can use us to change one life. And if the angels rejoice over one sinner being saved, should not we? The angels are not rejoicing over the Constitution. They're not rejoicing over what's taking place today in politics. But they are rejoicing when one sinner is converted. Where are our energies being That's a soul-searching question. Two, at what cost are we willing to serve the Lord? I don't know if we're going to die physically like Stephen. But, you know, can we die to the high thoughts we have of ourselves? Can we die to the high thoughts we have of our reputations? There's a spiritual principle here about life and to be used by God to be used by God in effective ministry something has to die the old man has to die you cannot and I cannot serve two masters vanity is going to separate you from effective ministry excessive hobby is going to separate you from effective ministry too much business and work and money is going to uh, separate you from effective ministry Uh, sports is going to stop you from effective ministry leisure you name it so I go back to the second question are we affecting anybody's life and if you can say I don't know maybe not then you have to ask the third question has it cost you anything has it cost me anything Can I stand here and proclaim the gospel of Christ and not cost me anything? Before you heard these words, I had to sit under it and take an evaluation of my own life and what still needs to die for effective ministry. Three. What mindset do we have as we see our religious freedoms diminishing? What mindset do we have? Do we have the mindset of being missionaries? And who are being scattered and taking the gospel with us? Are we the complaining refugees? Just complaining. Just complaining. 
complaining about this. No one says Merry Christmas. Or they're taking Jesus out of uh, uh, the courtroom. The Ten Commandments aren't there. And now they want to take in God we trust off money. Like it belongs to Caesar anyway. But we complain and we, we love to, oh, we love to complain. But that's what a victim mentality does. What we should do, if our heart was filled with Jesus, we should preach the word. Not complain. You can't do both. I'll tell you that right now. Evaluate where you are again today. Are you complaining about what we see? Or are we preaching and sharing the gospel at more an alarming rate now than ever before? I'm telling you, after Thursday night when we pray, I go, I'm out on Friday, I could care less. You need to be born again. That's like the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? I don't care. I do it with love, I do it with joy, I do it with humility. I, I think I do anyway. But I can't stop it. I'm like, are you saved? People will complain. I walk into the stores. I get people, oh, you know, what's going on? I said, you need to be born again. And I walk. <laughs> Whatever happens. But that's because of prayer on Thursday night. Because otherwise, I'm a coward. I like my leisure. I like, I like a rip. I, I don't want nobody hating me. There's no room for that. You can't complain. And you can't preach. If you're going to complain, you're going to be silent about Jesus. And it's going to be this little conclave of people getting around and they're complaining, they're complaining, but they're not doing anything. And then you got these other ones, they're crying, they know what's taking place, they know the religious freedoms are taken, they know what's going on, they can see the handwriting on the wall, but they get up, they go to prayer, they say, I don't care, I'm going to preach the gospel. Because that's who I am. I'm a Christian man, you're a Christian man, you're a Christian woman, we're a Christian church, that's what we do. That's it. That's it. Leave the politics to the politicians. Vote when you can vote. Enjoy it. But otherwise, tell sinners about Jesus Christ. If you got something better, after the meeting, you can let me know. But we've got to be careful of that. But you know why? You know why I can say that with deep conviction? I see it in my own heart. I want to complain. There's something like pointing the finger and saying, they're the problem. Something comforting in that, isn't it? Some kind of self-righteous comfort. And pointing the finger at another group of people and saying, they're the ones. It's the liberals that are ruining everything. And I feel comfortable. The point is this. The tide is changing in America. The tide has changed. We gotta all stop complaining. We gotta show maturity, even though we hate what we see, and even though we have to flee for our life. We got a higher purpose, and that's to tell people about Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes to open up Brian Martin's mouth, <coughs> so be it. If you gotta turn my life upside down, inside out, gouge out my eye, cut off my arm, if I'm not doing that, which I'm ordained to do and called to do, please, God, shake me up. Let me have a Jacob encounter to ultimate reality. And stop living in my own little world. Can you agree with that? Yes. yes. And the last one. 
like this church that life was turned right upside down. It was enjoying just great growth. Uh, the word of God was spreading. They had great men like Philip and they had great men like Stephen and filled with the word of God, rich theological prayer meetings and Bible study. They were close to the Lord. Uh, people were being fed and right from underneath them, a man is taken away. A persecution breaks out. Families and communities are thrown a thunder. And how do we deal with that in our life? When something suddenly changes in our life. Do you think the early church was saying, ah, the hand of God. The hand of God has brought this to the church and we're being scattered. Do you think for a moment they were rejoicing? I'm not saying, we know they rejoiced when they were put in jail, but they were horrified. Life has changed forever. Please, I don't want to separate what was taking place from the fears in their heart. And the reality of persecution and what that does to us. The rug was pulled out from underneath their life. It was never, ever, ever going to be the same again. They didn't fight to try to get it back to the way it was. We always try to get it back to the way it was. Instead of saying, God, let me see what you're doing. That's a scary thought, isn't it? We always want to get back into the womb. Oh, if I can get back in my mother's womb and maybe my little blankie and my 15 stuffed animals around me. Oh, it was so nice. See, parents know that. It's a, it's a safe place for a child. But we don't realize that we still act like children. And we like a safe place. A safe place is a prescription of death to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Once you and I and the church gets in a safe place, we begin to die. I'm going to give you an example of our beloved Pastor John Bird. Remember when he was working in Jersey, he had a great job out in Jersey, and big change came, and he had to come into Brooklyn. That was a big change. But he embraced the change. Preached the gospel, and now we have Mary and her whole family saved. More being saved. Why? He embraced the change. Father, help us, God. We're just so caught up in our own comforts and our own conveniences, Father God, that. God, let us see what you're doing in America today. Let us see what you're doing personally in our own life, in our own communities. What you want us to do, God, open up our eyes. Forgive us of fear of man. Forgive us of our excessive hobbies, our excessive thinking of ourselves as though we are the center of everything. Forgive us all, Father God. Forgive me. Forgive us. Do a fresh new work, Father God. Let the gospel be preached, Father God. Let us make it different in other people's lives. Let us invest time and energy and finances into other people's lives, Father. Let us see the worth that Stephen knew. As they stoned him to death, he looked up and saw the glory of God and him who sat at the right hand of the Father. With all power and authority. 
Lord Jesus, would you bless us? I want to take a moment now, and as Pastor John's going to come up, just going to take, take a moment with your eyes closed and just reflect. Did God speak to you at all today? What areas was he speaking to you? Take a moment and bring it to him. Just, just take a moment. Let's not miss this opportunity of what Christ is doing in our hearts.